Welcome back to our study called What is the Christian Faith? In our last session, we looked at several summary passages from the New Testament, passages that summarize the core doctrines of the Christian faith, and we saw across those summary passages patterns, that is, the same doctrines mentioned or emphasized over and over because those core doctrines of the Christian faith are consistent across the New Testament. They're consistent across Scripture. In our session today, we are going to look at how some of the early Christians did the same kind of thing, that they imitated Scripture in seeking to summarize the Christian faith and that they followed what Paul called that pattern of sound words, and they too emphasized the same doctrines, right, gave very similar summaries to what we find in the New Testament, as they attempted in their day to faithfully communicate in a clear, brief, but compelling way what it is that all Christians believe. Now, before we look at these summaries from some of the early Christians outside of the Bible, uh, we want to uh, make sure we know what to expect and how to handle these passages, these quotes, these writings from these early Christians. Uh, on the one hand, we don't want to treat these early Christian writings that are not part of the Bible as though they are part of the Bible. In other words, we don't want to treat these early Christian writers as though they were perfect and infallible, as though they were speaking from God uh, with the same inspiration and authority that the apostles had. Right? That's not how we're reading these early Christian writers. These are Christians who were faithful, who were godly, but they were flawed, just like you and I. And though they were faithful teachers, they made mistakes, unlike what we find in the New Testament, where there are no mistakes, because in those books, in, in the Bible, in those writings, God is inspiring those authors in such a way that they communicate perfectly and exactly what God wants them to communicate so that their, their words do not err. There are no errors in scripture because it is ultimately God's word. Now these writings from the early Christians, that's not true of them, these early Christians outside of the Bible. It's not true of them. They're not infallible. Their words are not perfect. Uh, their words are not um, unmixed with error, right? That's a, a phrase that I think is sometimes used to talk about scripture. Scripture has truth unmixed with error, some have said, right? And, and we have affirmed that. I'm just borrowing their phrase. But um, that's not true of these early Christian writings, right? So we don't want to treat them as though they are equal with Scripture. But on the other hand, we don't want to dismiss the writings of these early Christians as though there's nothing we could learn from them, as though it doesn't matter what Christians before us said, and did, as though it doesn't matter how they attempted to articulate the faith, as though we can learn nothing from them. Right? We don't want to do that either. Right? The Bible alone is God's word, but just as we learn from other Christians, teachers, pastors who are alive today, we can also learn from other Christians and pastors and teachers who have lived throughout the history of the church. 
They're not any more perfect than our present pastors and teachers and fellow Christians are. They are flawed as well, right? but we can still learn from them. So we began this study by looking at a little verse in a little book called Jude. Jude, verse 3. There's only one chapter, right? So we don't even have to say what chapter it is. It's just Jude, verse 3. And Jude said this. He said, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's what we're talking about in this series. What is the faith? What is that body of doctrine, that body of truths that all Christians believe that we are called to contend for? We said it's not everything in the Bible. It's not everything that Christians believe, but it is those core doctrines, those essential truths that all Christians in all times, all places affirm and uh, we want to look at how some early Christians attempted to do that. And um, I hope that as we hear how they did that, that two things will happen. That one, we will realize that in the early days of the church, and, and uh, much of what I'm going to read, maybe all of it, uh, comes from around the second century, most likely. That means between 100 and 280, roughly. Some of it might be... Um, you know, early 200s AD, but it's in the it's in the early days of the church, not long after the apostles, not too long after uh, Jesus's life and death and resurrection. Hopefully, we'll see that the things they are saying are very similar to what the apostles said, to what the New Testament scriptures say, because they are seeking to faithfully follow, believe teach, repeat, spread the teaching of the apostles, right? that they were um, authorized and commissioned to proclaim by Christ himself, the apostles were. So hopefully we'll see that they were doing a good job of following the teaching of the apostles. And then the second thing I hope will happen is that as we hear more and more of these summaries, just as we looked at some summaries from the New Testament last time, as we listen now to some summaries of, of early Christians, that we will uh, pick up even more clarity and certainty for ourselves about what it is that all Christians believe and affirm, what it is that the New Testament most clearly emphasizes, and what it is that we ought to share with others when they say, what is it that Christians believe? Where should we start in answering that question? Hopefully, listening to how these Christians did that will help us do that more faithfully as well. So the first uh, thing I'm going to read to you is from uh, a letter, an early letter, uh, written to somebody named Diognetus. And this was probably written in, again, the second century, so between 1 and 200 AD, not too long after the apostles. And uh, here's what it says. It says, This was no mere earthly invention which was delivered to them. And that sounds like New Testament language, right? Remember Paul said, For I received what I also delivered to you, right? It says, This was no mere earthly invention which was delivered to them. Uh, nor is it a mere human system of opinion, which they judge it rightly to preserve carefully. 
But he says a little bit later, God himself, who is almighty, the creator of all things and invisible, has sent from heaven and placed among men him who is the truth and the holy and incomprehensible word and has firmly established him in our hearts. He did not, as one might have imagined, send to men any servant or angel or ruler, but the very creator and fashioner of all things by whom he made the heavens. As a king, and then a little bit later, as a king sends his own son, who is also a king, so sent he him. As God he sent him. As to men he sent him. As a savior he sent him. So there again you have the emphasis on God the Almighty, who's the creator, and on the sending of his son, his word, who became man, uh, who was sent as uh, a savior, right, to save us from our sin. And then uh, Polycarp was a name you might have heard of. Polycarp is a famous martyr from the early church. He wrote a letter to the church at Philippi, just like the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church at Philippi. Of course, like we said, Polycarp's not inspired. He's not an apostle. His words are not inerrant. But he wrote to that same church. And uh, listen to what he said. He said, Mercy to you and peace from God Almighty and from the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, be multiplied. And then he says, The strong root of your faith, spoken of in days long gone by, endureth even until now, and bringeth forth fruit to our Lord Jesus Christ, who for our sins suffered even unto death, but whom God raised from the dead, having loosed the bands of the grave. Now, that's part of the opening chapter or so of uh, Polycarp's letter to the church at Philippi. And there he's uh, rehearsing and reminding them of those things that they all believe, that they all hold in common. He talks about God Almighty and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. He talks about our uh, faith and of Christ suffering for our sins by his death and of God raising him from the dead. Right? So again, we're seeing the same kinds of patterns, the same kinds of summaries, the same doctrines emphasized over and over and over. Justin Martyr wrote one of the earliest apologetic works. Now, an apologetic is not an apology in the sense of saying, I'm sorry. It's an apology in the sense of a defense. He's explaining to non-Christians what it is that Christians believe. He's trying to explain to them Right, what Christians believe, how Christians worship, and so on. And here's what he says in one passage about what Christians believe. He says, Our teacher of these things is Jesus Christ, who also was born for this purpose and was crucified under Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea, in the times of Tiberius Caesar, and that we reasonably worship him, having learned that he is the son of the true God himself, and holding him in the second place, and the prophetic spirit in the third. Now, don't stumble over the first, second, and third place about the Father, Son, and Spirit there, in the sense that don't don't make that primary. Justin, at this point, I don't think really spells out what he means by that. It's not necessarily a hierarchy in the Trinity, though uh, the doctrine of the Trinity was not as clearly 
spelled out or articulated by Christians at this point as it would be later. So that that's not our emphasis right now, whether or not you think he's doing a, a good job or not of kind of explaining the relation of the persons of the Trinity, if that's even what he's trying to do. What I want us to focus on here is, first of all, that he does mention God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and he talks about Christ, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, right? And he mentions the time, right, of Tiberius Caesar, which uh, Luke mentions that timing as well. Uh, he mentions that we worship him and that he's the son of the true God, right? And so, again, Justin's emphasizing the same key doctrines. And then finally, uh, one of my favorites, Irenaeus. Now, Irenaeus, um, his writing here is from a, a big book called Against Heresies. Um, and if I'm remembering correctly, this might be a little bit later. So like maybe the first half of the third century. So maybe 200 to 250. And he writes at much greater length. And he also has a lot of summary statements of what it is Christians believe. He was fending off misunderstandings and, and, uh, and false teachings being articulated in, in his day and uh, countering them with the truth. And so he was trying to emphasize what it is that the scriptures say is true. So let me give you some quotes from him. He said, believing in one God, the creator of heaven and earth and all things therein by means of Christ Jesus, the son of God, who because of his surpassing love toward his creation, condescended, that is, you know, came down, humbled himself, condescended to be born of the virgin, he himself uniting man through himself to God, and having suffered under Pontius Pilate, and rising again, and having been received up in splendor, shall come in glory, the Savior of those who are saved, and the judge of those who are judged, and sending into eternal fire those who transform the truth and despise his Father and his advent, that is, his coming. Right, so there you have the belief in one God who's the creator uh, that he created through his son, right, through the word, uh, uh, Christ Jesus, who's the son of God, and that he loved us and that he, uh, Christ was born of a virgin. He uh, was God and united humanity to his deity. And he suffered under Pilate. He rose again and he's going to return and there's going to be judgment and salvation. Right, that's, a, that's a thorough, wonderful summary of what Christians believe. Um, and Irenaeus, that's not the only place um, that he says something like this. For example, he says uh, in another place, Peter, together with John, talking about the apostles, preached to them, to them this plain message of glad tidings, good news, right? That the promise which God made to the fathers had been fulfilled by Jesus not certainly proclaiming another God, but the Son of God, who also was made man and suffered, thus leading Israel into knowledge and through Jesus, preaching the resurrection of the dead and showing that whatever the prophets had proclaimed as to the suffering of Christ, these had God fulfilled. And that sounds a lot like uh, what you might read in a sermon in the book of Acts or what you might read from Jesus himself in Luke 24, right? that the, the Old Testament scriptures were fulfilled in Jesus and that this is what the apostles were preaching. And he mentions that Jesus is not a, a separate God, another God. He's the son of God, that he was made man, that he suffered, right? And he talks about the resurrection of the dead 
um, you know, the suffering of Christ, and, and so on. So again, same patterns, same ideas. Right? Uh, let me give you one more. Another place he says uh, that there was one and the same God the Father and Christ Jesus who rose from the dead, and they preached faith in him to those who did not believe on the Son of God and exhorted them out of the prophets that the Christ whom God promised to send, he sent in Jesus, whom they crucified and God raised up. Again, that just sounds like a sermon from the book of Acts, right? that God sent his Son, that he was crucified, but that God raised him up, and that this is what the Old Testament scriptures said would happen. This is God's faithfulness to his promise to send the Messiah, to send a Savior for his people. So the early Christians, right, they are doing the same things we see the writers in the New Testament doing. They're seeking to summarize and articulate the core doctrines of the Christian faith, those things that all Christians hold in common, our belief in God, right, our belief uh, in the Son of God who took on flesh, who died in the place of sinners, and who was raised from the dead, right, our belief in the Holy Spirit, Right? We encounter that as well, though that's not uh, as common in these passages. It's still there, right? the belief in the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we see these same ideas, right? these same patterns, because these are the things that all Christians in all times, in all places, all believe and affirm and seek not only to confess, but to persuade others to believe. So uh, I hope from seeing those things, again, that it'll confirm for you that these early Christian writers, they were just seeking to say the same things that the New Testament said, that they were seeking to be faithful to what the apostles taught. And hopefully, uh, hearing how they summarize it has helped you not only uh, think more clearly about those patterns in the New Testament, but also uh, about how you can sort of summarize those things for yourself and articulate those things for yourself. Now, in our final session, our fourth and final session, uh, we will look at the Apostles' Creed, which is probably the most famous, uh, most famous and most often used uh, summary of the Christian faith that exists outside of the Bible. So outside of those summaries in Scripture, the Apostles' Creed is probably the most often used, the most often recited, the most often confessed, the most often taught summary of the Christian faith. And so in our next and final session, we'll look at the Apostles' Creed and see how it measures up to the New Testament, how it relates to these early Christian confessions, and how it can be helpful to us as we seek to be faithful to cling to, confess, and tell to the world what it is that Christians believe. God bless.